Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. All right, welcome back to another episode of the 90th percentile. I am your host, Jeff Ponce. I am here, as always, with my co-host, Matt Pajak of Loading Sports. Matt, rolling out the episodes one after another. Um, we have an interesting conversation today, and I think it's something that, um, I know you said this offline, and I agree, that's maybe a little bit under-discussed when it comes to baseball, particularly when it comes to pitchers. And I think that sort of fitness level, the impact of pitch clocks on pitchers and sort of the demands now of, you know, being able to recover quicker um, and just better cardiovascular health for a lot of those guys. Uh, Alec Manoa is sort of an example of this. What sort of spurned us to have this conversation was a viral tweet uh, by, a, by a gentleman by the name of Jack Barry. He's the founder of JB Performance. Um, he's going to be our guest today. But before we bring in Jack, just wanted to talk about it a little bit and uh, get your perspective as well on this. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a good chance that if you're listening to this, you probably saw the viral tweet thread from Jack. Uh, that's not to say that you read the whole thing because most people don't. So that's not a knock on you. If you didn't, you only read the top tweet. But uh, I did read the whole tweet because it was something that I've been thinking about <clears throat> specifically in relation to Alec Manoa who I've been a big fan of ever since he was at West Virginia. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm still a big fan of him. And uh, I do think that he's going to be able to figure out what's going on here and, and get back to his, you know, finished third in Cy Young voting last year level of pitching. But uh, I did have thoughts as I, as I usually do um, about, you know, going back a couple of months, even to spring training, how the pitch clock pitch timer was going to affect pitching. Because there's a lot of different variables that go into getting on mound and executing your pitches. Uh, and one of the things that I thought was potentially, I don't want to say uh, bugging Manoa, was the pace of the game. And I think that the pace of the game has a lot of positives. I think there's been a lot of positive feedback from people who have watched Major League Baseball this year. I can speak on my end. It definitely makes the games that are less... Um, personally intriguing or have less personal weight, uh, more watchable. Um, but all of that to say is that when the game speeds up, it's going to affect pitchers in different ways. They're just, they're, they're running a different race. So um, Jack creates this thread, which was, you know, well put together. Uh, you know, he cites research in it. And it kind of supported something that I've been thinking for the past couple of months. Um, and I think it opens the door. You know, he's, he was willingly able to, or he wanted to come on and, and discuss it. Like, let's bring him on, talk through it. This isn't by any means what's actually happening with Alec Manoa, but I think it's a well thought out theory that's worthy of discussion. Um, as you know, we're Jeff, we're still what, like a couple months into, pitch clock being part of the major league game regularly. So 
Mm. Um, let's talk about it. Let's let's talk to Jack, get his thoughts. Maybe he can teach us a couple things and uh, look at this thing through an open mind. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, I think it was a well put together thread, as you said, really interesting um, look into it. And I think it, it kind of going back to another topic that we've discussed a little bit across a few different episodes goes back to, you know, the PO mentality and, uh, you know, those guys actually being athletes and the demands and rigors of the body. Um, and, you know, even without a pitch clock, I'd have to wonder um, what the impact would be on Manoa. Um, you know, had things gone along, how much does this stuff deteriorate over time just from not being physically, you know, as fit as he probably could be? I know we have some examples of pitchers that had bigger bodies that stuck around for a long time, like a Bartolo Cologne, et cetera, those sort of things. That was a little bit more progressive. <laughs> and they, you know, wasn't as big of a frame as Manoa. Manoa was a big guy. You know, he's very tall, he's broad, and then there's the added weight on top of it. And I think when we saw that initial, like, surge in pro ball when he came up to the big leagues in 2021, a lot of that was he was in better shape than – the guy that I saw that was one of the standouts in the Cape. Um, you know, I saw him a few times with Chatham. That was sort of like the the jumping off point, the precipice of him sort of taking off and becoming that that top, you know, whatever, 15, 15 first round pick uh, back in 19. So it's kind of interesting to see how all of this could sort of play out. But that being said, let's uh, let's bring Jack in. No, I just uh, before we bring Jack in. Okay, okay. I just, I just want to throw a couple of things out there because I, I do think that there's a lot of people that get on Manoa for his weight. Um, but I, I do think it's worth noting that, like, if you go back to like CC Sabathia, like CC Sabathia felt like he needed to lose weight later in his career, and when he did, like his velocity dropped, and then mm -hmm. when he added the weight back on, his velocity went back up. So I do think that there's a certain level of like or a threshold with which like we don't really want to see slender Manoa out there because then his stuff might not be as good just from a velocity standpoint. Right. So mm. um, I do think there's a threshold there and I do want to also, you know, kind of creep this thought into your head about NFL players, specifically the larger NFL players that go out every Sunday and they play for 60 minutes in the trenches and they're fit to do so. So I, I think that in my mind, there's probably a level where Manoa can maintain his size and also better prepare. And maybe that's something Jack can, can kind of break down for us, better prepare for the rigors of a sped up major league baseball game. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, let's, let's bring Jack in here and, and kind of discuss uh, Alec Manoa, his thread Manoa, just for anybody who's listening uh, was recently optioned to the complex not because he needed to be optioned all the way to the basement, but probably because he's working on some things. So, mm -hmm. yeah, let's bring him in. Let's do it. All right, welcome back. We are bringing in our guest this week. I know that we teased him in the opening. It is Jack Barry, founder of JB Performance, and uh, as Matt put it, viral tweeter. We very much enjoyed your tweet on Alex Manoa, Alec Manoa, and uh, we're interested to get into it. So, Jack, welcome to the show. How are you, man? I'm great. Thank you guys so much for having me. Yeah, no problem. You want to kind of kick us off a little bit with your background and like where you're from, what you do. Um, yeah, obviously we saw the tweet, you, you know, you, you're a founder of a, a performance situation. So yeah, get into it. 
Awesome. Yeah. So I'm uh, I'm 26 years old um, from Baltimore, Maryland. Actually, just south of Baltimore. Um, I don't want to piss anybody off because I'm from Howard County. So if you're a Maryland listener, um, 20 minutes south of Camden Yards, 20 miles north of Washington D.C. Um, so literally, my high school was the the middle point. There's a Baltimore Sun article. You can probably look it up, but like my high school was the midpoint between DC and Baltimore. So I can pretty much say I'm from either. Um, I choose Baltimore because there's a little bit of a grittiness there. I don't want to get into politics. So, um, but but yeah, tons of Nats games growing up. Tons of O's games. Um, I can I can walk to Camden Yards now from where I live, which is pretty sweet. Um, actually, grew up a Yankees fan. Believe it or not. Um, so. Oh boy. Uh, I know, I know. I'm, again, not going to get into baseball politics or real politics, but right. um, but yeah, I played D three ball at a school called Salisbury University. Um, was a decent player, I guess. Um, shortstop, infielder. Um, thought I would have an opportunity to play pro ball. Didn't. Um, tried to play the odds game and indie ball and stuff. Um, realized I wasn't a great hitter at the professional level, um, and so I was like, "There's twelve pitchers on a roster." There's four infielders. Um, let's see what we can do pitching-wise. Started working with a company called Tread Athletics. Um, ben Brewster, Coma McAlpin. Um, tons of respect for those guys. Worked with them remotely for about six months. That was right around when the COVID deal started to hit. Um, stopped working with them. Pretty much unofficially retired. Started filling bottles of sanitizer at a distillery because um, there was – tons of need for that at the time and uh did that for about eight months um that was local i was still living with my folks at the time kind of got like i don't know what you call it covid fever or just like you know family matter um got tired of that and then actually um, reached back out to cone and ben um, about a coaching opening that they had um didn't have any experience coaching didn't have my cscs which i have now which is for anyone listening, it's certified strength and conditioning specialist, um, just kind of like a coaching certification. Didn't really work with any high level throwers, but just took a, took a shot. Um, was in a pool with a bunch of other like minor league pitching coordinators um, and guys that had big league experience. Didn't really, again, think I had any shot. Um, got an email back after I submitted my application three days later. I was in Utah hiking. Um, and they said, we want to bring you down to Charlotte for an interview. Ended up getting the job, um, was super excited about it, worked with them for 14 months. Um, it was a pretty new company at the time um, before the, the Mitch Keller happenings, the, the Josh Haters, the Clay Holmes, all that, all that type of stuff. Um, and uh, started doing some business development stuff. Ended up leaving them at the end of 2022, um, shook hands, still on good terms. Um, I'll get into... Uh, Kind of what prompted the Manoa tweet because there's a connection there, um, but um, but yeah, came back, started to do like some broadcast journalism stuff, some podcasting similar to what you guys are doing within like the sports realm. Um, actually, was doing some media stuff for the team I'm coaching for now, so it's been a nice kind of full circle moment this year. Mm. Um, but yeah, work with athletes remotely, pitchers primarily, do strength throwing, uh, high level kind of like analytical database stuff, pitch design. Um, but also just like throwing more efficiently, injury mitigation, rehab stuff. Um, so doing that for about eight months now, nine months. Um, and uh, it's been great so far and it's growing and uh, having fun with it. So Awesome. Yeah. Um, 
I was on Twitter last week and uh, the tweet thread that you created uh, specifically referencing Alec Manoa was something that I've been thinking for the past couple of months um, was how the speed of the game was affecting him specifically and maybe a couple of other guys, which we can get into a little bit later on if you have any thoughts on that. But I thought that the thread was very well put together. Um, you know, there is a part in there where you say that you're an outsider and this is just a theory. Um, yeah, I don't know if, what the words are word for word, but it's in there if you read the thread. Uh, and I know a couple of people went at you for it. We can get into that a little bit later too. But you got almost a million views on that thread at this point, which is a ton, especially for baseball Twitter. Um, did you did you think it was going to get that big? <laughs> Not in the slightest. Um, I'll go back to what I said earlier about how there was a connection with Tread, but one of my best friends, um, Turner Givens, is a performance coach there. Um, he works with a lot of the Pirates big leaguers, which has been cool to see because they've they've had kind of like a, a renaissance within their staff and their organization. Um, Devin Hayes is Mitch Keller's performance coach. Performance coach. Um, and he's obviously having a great year. All these guys are great friends of mine. Um, I'd call them coworkers at the start and now they're friends, but we were on the phone that morning that I actually launched the tweet and, uh, I was just kind of scrolling through Twitter while I was on the phone with him. And I was like, dude, what the hell is going on with Manoa? And everyone's referencing like slider data and, and velo and everything. And, um, you know, I'll say this now and hopefully Manoa, you know, hears this, hopefully he's not angry with me, but he basically said three letters and he was just like F-A-T. Um, and I was like, yeah, I mean, he's, he's definitely a little bit out of shape. I think last year he was listed at 260. Now he's listed at like 285. Um, but I was saying how like, you know, I think it's, I think it's probably pitch clock, pitch clock based because you look at a guy like Lance Lynn, who we can certainly dive into a little bit more. And he's been dominant over the last couple of years for the White Sox. And then all of a sudden, Pitch clock comes in. You got less time between pitches. You got less time to prep for for innings. Um, the game is just shortened, and you see guys like that struggle. Um, we can also dive into the nuances of like why that is from a mechanical based perspective. From you know pitches flattening out, or guys just have less time to prep for each individual hitter. But it was a very impromptu thing uh, between Turner and I, to where I was like, I think I'm going to write like a thread on this. Like, I want to dive into why this actually is. And so usually if I'm going to launch like a banger tweet or a banger piece of content, I'll dedicate a few days to it. Um, but I was like, I want to get ahead of this before anybody else does, because it was literally two days after he got sent down. Um, and so I don't know if anybody else had different theories on why that might be. I know there was a couple of people that referenced in the tweet saying that it might have been like a shoulder injury, which there hasn't been anything publicly stated on that. Um, so I was like, maybe not. I know he had some sort of like flexor strain um, in the middle part of last year. And he said that like ever since then, his fastball velo has dipped. But I definitely think that there, even with that, there's a connection to like the anaerobic system within pitching and just physical conditioning. Because, you know, everyone's going to say CeCe Sabathia or Goose Gossage or not Goose Gossage, um, the other David Wells. Um, and there was just a, a reel that came out about him, like pitching his perfect game, completely hungover, being out with the cast members of SNL until like 5 a.m. the day before. 
you're just not going to see that anymore. The game's changed way too much. Um, baseball players are specimens now. Um, and, um, yeah, it was just a very impromptu thing not to get too long winded, but, uh, but yeah, definitely didn't expect it to get as big as it did. Um, but certainly glad it did. So. Yeah, no doubt. And, uh, as it tends to happen when something starts to get legs on Twitter, especially in the baseball world, you get every corner comes out to give their two cents. Um, and I do think that it's important for listeners who have probably seen the tweet thread, um, you know, to just note, like, and we mentioned it earlier, this is word for word. It's simply an outsider's observation on what could be going wrong. All right. So like, I think that's, that's something that largely gets missed, not just in baseball, but just in general in society these days is like people just read like the first part and they think they got the whole thing. And then like, they feel like they're, you know, they should, you know, hop in and give their two cents as to why you're wrong. Uh, again, I, I think the reason why you're here and the reason why we're discussing it is because you, you took a thoughtful approach to something that's relevant in baseball. And again, PSA to the listeners, like this is just like a well thought out discussion and not necessarily like a, this is what's going on. Um, so I think that's important to, Again, in this day and age, you got to like reaffirm that multiple times. But um, to keep this thing rolling, uh, for the people who haven't seen the tweet thread or for the people who have only seen the top tweet and didn't bother to get all the way into it, um, can you kind of summarize it for us? And then, you know, kind of going a little bit beyond that, like put into layman's terms for us, like what VO2 max is, uh, summarize the research that you cited and, um, kind of give some credence as to why you feel like your theory fits here. Yeah. And, and what I will say is um, there were some people that referenced like the top tweet. Um, and if we dive into like social media nuance, um, you know, the hook does say like, here's the real reason why you got to get eyes on your stuff. If you want people to read it. Right. You know, and, and I'm not going to say at the bottom of that, that like, this is the exact reason, you know, I'm not a charlatan. I'm not going to stand on a soapbox and say like exactly why, like you said, it's just an observation and some data to kind of support that. Um, but you know, that could definitely lead some people in the wrong direction, but I do think that there is some pretty con concrete evidence that, you know, pitching is a very anaerobic activity and it requires, on a, requires a lot of different complex systems within the body in order to be successful. Um, you know, the actual act of throwing is very anaerobic. Um, it's a very forceful, powerful move, but it's done within a two second window. Within that 15 to 20 seconds now with the pitch clock, you require the aerobic system, which is going to pump oxygen to the muscles to allow for you to recover for the next pitch. If you're doing that 15 20 times within an inning let's just say an inning takes you know seven minutes eight minutes ten minutes depending on how you're doing that is going to require a very serious workload as far as your cardiovascular system in order to be successful with that being said training is changing and to go back to your original point i want to miss the boat here vo2 max essentially is the test of how efficient your cardiovascular system is so how well can you take in oxygen? How well can you actually recover from about 
of anaerobic exercise, um, which anaerobic for anybody who's listening is basically any sort of activity that doesn't require oxygen at the current moment. Um, so you don't need to be breathing in order to throw a baseball hundred miles an hour. Um, you do need to use the aerobic system to recover from that activity. If you were trying to throw hundred miles an hour, you know, 10 times consecutively, it's not going to come out a hundred every single time because you need to recover from that bout of exercise. That's going to require the musculature in order to do that very serious rotational activity. And there were some people, you know, saying I wanted to make a point at one point to say like some people were saying, Oh, it's throwing a baseball. How hard can it be? Anybody who's thrown a baseball 90 plus, you know, 10, 15, 20, 30 consecutive times, they would laugh at that sentiment because it is a very hard thing to do. You know, I, I can, I'm proud to say I can, I've done it at one point. I can't do it anymore. Um, but guys at the big league level, especially, I think of the Verlanders, the Scherzers, you know, any of the guys, even the, you know, DeGroms. And I wrote another thread on DeGrom that got some serious traction um, about just his process and his prep. And unfortunately, you know, we're not going to be seeing him at least for the next year. But anybody who's able to do that on a consistent basis, Tyler Glasnow as well, I always marvel at him. Um, they are very serious about what it takes in order to sustain that workload. And during the World Series in 2019, everyone was up in arms about Max Scherzer taking a run the day after his start because, like, long distance running and a powerful anaerobic activity like a throw. You're not going to see a ton of distance running. It's a very old school pitching mentality. But who's to say that he's wrong when he's been in the league for, you know, I don't even know, 15, 16 years now, and he's won two, three Cy Youngs, and he's been successful, and he's made a lot of money doing that on a consistent basis. I saw this video of Adam Wainwright talking about his prep for an outing. By no means is he a hard thrower, but he's able to go out there and give his team five, six, seven innings on a consistent basis. Um, availability is the best ability. If you can go out there and, and be an inning eater and be successful doing that, you're going to have a very long career in this game. So well, I, I, and I'll, I just want to jump in here because you brought up something interesting there with Scherzer and how he's been in the league so long and, you know, who's to say that what he's doing is wrong, this, that, whatever. We're not to say that, right? But, like, the fact of the matter is is that if you're playing at the highest level of the game in any sport, um, you're probably wired a little bit different than your average human being and i think something that a lot of people lose is that like it the guys that you may know on your team locally that the rest of the world doesn't know um that play two or three years in the big leagues or play a year or two in the nfl like those guys are probably closer to average and just being like a result of a lot of hard work over a long period of time and being really skilled at what they do, as opposed to being like this freakish outlier, like for the people that try and, and love Kobe Bryant, like Kobe Bryant's one of my all time favorite athletes. But the fact of the matter is, is that like the mama mentality of him getting three practice sessions in a day probably isn't for everyone. Like if you just go look at like circadian rhythms and you look at like the benefit of sleep, like Kobe Bryant did things with his body and pushed his body in ways that the average person shouldn't be doing. But it was kind of promoted as like, well, if Kobe did it, like that's gotta be the way. So I think like that's an important 
part of this conversation. It's not to say like, hey, Max Scherzer, what you're doing is wrong. It works for you. That's great. You're a freak. You do things that most guys can't do even at your level. Okay, but for the majority of us, it's probably important that we optimize in different ways. So I think that's a really important point. And I'll let you kind of get back into the thread. And I think this has been really helpful. So let's let's keep it rolling. Yeah, I mean, David Goggins, uh, who doesn't know that guy? But it's like he's out there running, you know, 50, 100 miles a day on three hours of sleep. And it's like, if you're an athlete, that's not going to work. You're going to run yourself into the ground. Um, you're also probably not thrown very hard because you're not moving very fast. No <laughs> doubt. Um, and so I think the things that guys that are successful on a very consistent basis do is they do find that process that works for them and they don't deviate from that. They, they really do, whether it's like they have one good year, they have two good years and they just develop that formula and that schedule and that routine. They just rip that on a consistent basis. And so, you know, a, a Karen Shack, one of my really good buddies, Cody Morris, um, he actually made his season debut last night in San Diego, but he was rehabbing a Terry's minor strain um, throughout the early part of this year. And it's something that's been bugging him for the last few years. And he was trying to draw some points from Karen Shack. If you know Karen Shack, psychopath on the mound, um, very much Metallica, hard rock style of, of throwing. Yeah, fun um, fact, I, I actually went to school with Karen Shack. He's a couple oh, years nice. younger than me, but anyway. There you go. Um, but he he basically asked him, he's like, Check, what do I, what do you do when you have a, an injury? Because they were rehabbing in Arizona around the same time. And he was like, well, basically, if something hurts, um, I just do more of that. That's a very simplistic elementary way to approach it. He's not wrong in his thinking that I think – PT and and I think SNC coaches that are listening can allude to this that bands and like traditional arm care of like treating the arm like this very glass careful thing is kind of being thrown out the window to where now it's like if we're trying to throw a baseball 100 miles an hour on a consistent basis that is a very large stressor on the body throughout our training we need to prepare the body for that and that means giving it that stimulus of high level stress and force within our training. Again, that's not going to work for everybody because Cody went out and tried it and it it didn't work for him. Um, You know, he's a guy that when we have our conversations about just, you know, his strength programmer is throwing, he can't even hold onto a bar for more than a minute. Um, And if, you know, for anybody else listening, hanging from a bar, Shoulder health, um, scapular mobility, um, rib, rib cage decompression, all these sorts of things are very important as far as the throw. But does it mean it's going to work for everybody? Absolutely not. Some guys are more mobile. Some guys are more strong. Some guys are more elastic driven. So they're looser movers, um, long levered guys. Think of taller pitchers, longer levers. Some guys are more force driven. Think of your Spencer Striders. Think of your Tim Lincecums, guys like that. Um, so there is going to be different things that work for different individuals, but there's two things I wanted to, two points I wanted to make. One is that strength is never going to be a deficit for the large majority of the athletic population. And so, you know, if you're strong, if you're mobile, if you have the ability to withstand the stressors that you're placing on the body within your sport, 
you're probably going to be in a pretty good spot. Um, the second is that I don't think that any sort of aerobic conditioning, um, if you have a high level of that, but can still maintain rate of force development and the application of what you're doing in a sports setting. So throwing a ball hundred miles an hour, dunking a basketball, you know, if you're a running back, running through a linebacker, anything like that, that's also not going to be a deficit. And so I think the pairing of those two things is really what allows for guys to have these long careers and do it on a consistent basis because they understand that and they're able to address that in the three to four month off seasons. So by the time they get to spring training, they're not dealing with any sort of, you know, oblique injury, which I mean, at nauseum, you start to see that in the reports of guys having oblique injuries because they treat the core, which is, you know, a very proximal structure in a rotational sport as this very stable thing. But I mean, shit, I'm training. I don't know if I can curse. I'm sorry. But um, um, okay, good. <laughs> they treat the core as a very stable thing. But like I'm sitting in a chair right now, I'm training core stability. Like, you know, in a rotational sport where you're hitting golfers, throwers, we're starting to see that the more that you can move the spine, the more that you can move the, the more proximal structures of the body. And if you actually look at a pitching delivery, like some of the positions you get into as far as thoracic mobility, lumbar mobility, so the lower parts of the spine, obviously the rotation of the pelvis, the expansion of the rib cage, these are all things that, that need to be stressed and need to be moved in order to go out there and, and perform and, and throw at a high level on a consistent basis. Um, and I don't want to get too far off the topic of Manoa and why he's struggling, but I think that these are important notes to make as far as anybody who's who's trying to get to that level of, you know, having a long career, whether it's in college or at the professional level, um, just to kind of take into their own their own process and, and their own way of thinking. Yeah, um, I think all of that's really helpful just for the context of like what goes into doing it at a high level and being able to sustain that and, you know, kind of to wrap the conversation a little bit and kind of get back to Manoa and just, just cap this thing off. Like Manoa is 26 years old, <coughs> excuse me. And he's coming off of a season where he finished third in Cy Young voting. And uh, obviously whatever it is, is, is kicking his butt right now. So, <coughs> Sorry about that. Um, if I, I guess if you were talking to Manoa or you were in charge of structuring his offseason, how might you go about, based on your theory, conditioning him to be better prepared for next season? The pitch clock has changed us a lot. I think it's changed for a lot of guys to where – <clears throat> they know they're going to have to throw harder on a consistent basis. And so they just focus on the actual strength and force application of the throw or of their performance. Now you have less time to recover and your cardio and your conditioning does become a major factor in your ability to succeed or fail. So there's a couple different ways that you can look at this. Uh, the first is structuring in, conditioning cardio within your strength program, because, you know, I have a lot of respect for like the CrossFit community, because I think that they got a bad rap within strength and conditioning uh, for, you know, Oh, you can't, you know, clean this much weight and also do this. And they're like, all right, try me. Like we're going to do it anyway. But 
they are very good at structuring and periodizing their cardio or their conditioning within uh, a very applicable strength program as well. And so I think for, for baseball players, pitchers more specifically, it's not as much of a, an issue for hitters um, because they get to sit, they have longer breaks, but like when you're out on the mound, you're by yourself, you're out there for until you get three outs every inning. Um, so one way that I structured it in with my own athletes was something that's very low impact. So it's not going to impede their strength or their power output within their training um, is using something that's not going to have an eccentric load. So eccentric is basically like when you land, when you're running, um, the eccentric action is when the, the muscles lengthen. Um, and that's when you're also going to accrue a lot of muscle damage. Um, so something like an assault bike um, or like a, an echo bike, a rogue echo bike, so you've got like the arms moving one way, you've got the legs also moving. So it's a full body movement, um, but doing like three to four seconds on that, you know, simulating more of an anaerobic activity like a throw. And then you have 15 to 20 seconds off. Very similarly structured to an outing. I think another consideration to take in here is that when you're in like an in-game outing, adrenaline is going to play a major factor in your, your CNS level and just your state of arousal. And so how much air you're bringing in, how much oxygen you're bringing in. Um, and it's very hard to simulate that within a training setting. So I think the more that you can do that and elevate the heart rate within your training and just sustain that throughout the course of your training session, if you can do that on a consistent basis, that's going to allow for you to actually transfer that to an in-game setting. Additionally, sprint work, because like I alluded to earlier, I don't think speed or strength is ever going to be a deficit for any guy. But also, you know, you can get into the nuances like diet and what a guy's lifestyle is like. Is he sleeping a lot? Is he taking the more brute Goggins type, you know, Kobe Bryant approach to where he's going out there and he's just crushing himself in workouts and he's not actually recovering from those. Um, the recovery from a pitch to pitch perspective is so much more so now than it was previously because you have to get the ball and you have to throw it. People have, in the past have said that baseball or you know tennis or whichever sport, these sports don't have clocks to them, but now they do. Um, and so you need to be able to fit into that time window, the amount of workload that's going to be required of you. And so essentially, to put it in more of a simplistic answer, pairing your, your speed, your power, your strength, stimulus that you're giving yourself within the off season, even within season, because maintaining that stuff is very important as well. Um, but pairing that with some sort of cardio stimulus, that's going to give you the adaptation within an anaerobic and aerobic setting to allow for you to not only go out there and use the strength, use the power to your advantage, but also be able to recover from that on a consistent basis to go out there and do it for 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 pitches every fifth day. For a starter, within that study, uh, this is the last note I'll make, I will say that relievers did not see any sort of performance improvements uh, within more of a higher level VO2. And I think that is because these guys are going out there, they're blowing it out for 15, 20 pitches, and then they don't throw again for another one, two, three days. So they have that adequate time to recover. Mm. But if that means going out there every fifth day, and, and using that system and, you know, within those off days, really stressing the cardio system so you can go out there and recover. That'll allow for you to use what you do as far as a throwing perspective and the strength, the power that you've developed 
in order to throw harder on a consistent basis, replicate your mechanics, throw your stuff more consistently, that's going to allow for you to perform. And you'll see that some of these bigger guys that can't really keep up with the pace of the game, their numbers start to dip inning by inning and pitch by pitch as you get deeper into innings. Um, and over the course of the season, that can be really taxing on the body. So I guess to boil it down to one thing, just thoughtful, deliberate cardio. Absolutely. Absolutely. And doing that in a way that's, again, not going to impede the strength or power that's going to be required within, within a throw. A lot of these cardio gurus, long distance runners, you're probably not going to see these guys benching 315, squatting 405, or for that matter, throwing a baseball 100 miles an hour because, no because they just they don't have the power output. They have the cardio output, but you need to pair that, which I think makes pitching so special, especially for starters. Yeah. And I, I think me and Jeff have been saying this for a number of different episodes that, you know, the higher level of athleticism that you have and, when I say athleticism, specifically the engine of the athlete, like the better chance you got to, to throw more innings in the big leagues, whether that's as a starter or longevity as a reliever. And yeah, athleticism matters. Uh, power output matters. Um, and I think, you know, even going beyond this conversation, something that both of us are very passionate about is stressing that to the amateur community for every PO at, 15 or 16 years old that just wants to sit there and kick his legs up and, and pitch every fifth day. Like, Hey, the guys who are doing it at the highest level of the game are they're athletes. They're, they're not just bumming it. So, um, Jeff, you got anything else for Jack? No, I just, uh, I just let you guys cook. <laughs> I'm the dumb journalist on this conversation. So I was just enjoying it. I'm keeping it within the guardrails, but no, I thought that was excellent. A lot of great insight there, um, you know, got into some of the details of sort of things, explained a lot of the thought process behind there. And it, it added a lot more context to the conversation and the tweets and, uh, you know, taking a look at some of the people that attacked you. I think you did some good work. <laughs> Thank you. I, I think that if you don't have haters, you're in a bad spot. So, yeah, there you go. Got to keep going. Uh, Probably true. Probably true. But uh, Jack, I want to thank you for coming on. That was Jack Barry from uh, JB Performance, as well as many other places, it seems. Uh, appreciate your time. Appreciate your thoughts. Thanks for tuning into the 90th percentile. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jack. Thanks a lot, man. Take it easy.